You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to a very special episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. This is Monday, March 21st, and today was the day of the Apple event, and Daniel Aaron Dilger attended. Daniel's with us, here to talk about it. Hi, Dan. Hi. Hello from California, from Cupertino. This was a really big event. Well, it was, um, in terms of Apple events, kind of smaller in the venue. Right. This was, in terms of the venue, this was held in the uh, the theater, the Town Hall Theater on the main campus. Is that right? Right. And that's the same theater where the uh, the iPod event was held years ago. Yeah, he mentioned that in the, being kind of like a historic thing, um, most of the big events where they introduced an entirely new product have been somewhere else, either at Moscone Center or they they threw special events like for the watch. They did that at the college here that's not far from Apple's campus or um, some of the other larger events, spaces around the Bay Area. But this is kind of like their their own on-campus thing. And they did a similar thing to last year where I actually parked behind the building where they usually let you in. And I don't know, that's not right. I had to go around to the other side. They were bringing people into the front, the media. Uh, so you get kind of you walk across campus and you got kind of this feel of being sort of intimately welcomed into Apple as opposed to being like snuck in through the back door to go to the theater. It was interesting to me the way that Tim Cook opened the uh, the presentation today by beginning talking about the FBI and privacy. Yeah, that's a big issue, and they're going to court tomorrow, and it's been consuming a lot of Apple's efforts. Just you know, they've been you think about how much work everybody has to do to have all these high level people. I mean, like the head of iOS and the head of iCloud and everything. everybody is coming, you know, making public statements, devoting a lot of attention to, to think about how to how to approach this issue, because it is a big deal. If it gets if it gets blown through court, uh, it could be just the way that things are going to be for a long time until a law can be changed. So it's it's a pretty pivotal issue for Apple. It, it sure is. And besides Tim Cook's opening statement, where he talked about how they built the iPhone for, for us, the customer, and how it's a deeply personal device, and how the question is how much power the government should have, I noticed as they went through the different parts of iOS 9 and the 9.3 update, that it seemed like at every step possible, they talked about where privacy was, was being introduced to either the Notes app or to the care around privacy for, for Research Kit and Care Kit and, and things like this that were parts of the other announcements. Yeah, really emphasizing that that's kind of central to having anything that works and being able to trust a system you have to have the assurance that you're the, the information that you're entrusting into your device is protected and protected in a variety of different ways they've given a lot of thought to it it's not just here try this and then you know there's, there's so many online services and various things where you, you put all your information in it and then it just gets shared in ways you don't expect um, so that's something that i think a lot of people are pushing back against they don't like the idea of you know, investing their personal stuff into something that can be, you know, used in ways that they don't anticipate. Yes. Well, the first part of the announcement after that introduction was about the environment and the, some of the uh, environmentally responsible efforts that Apple's making. Yeah, it's kind of a sort of a halo. They mentioned a couple of different items, but that was they started off with Lisa Jackson. I think that's the first time she's been on stage uh, giving a real presentation about what's happening. Most of what she's done has been kind of behind the scenes and lining things up. Um, but it was kind of interesting to see that much devoted to, hey, before we show you stuff that you came to see, here's stuff that we also want you to pay attention to and to think about. And so the environment played a big role in that. And that's something Apple's been talking about for a while, but uh, they haven't made it so much. Um, it, it's something they've been doing for years before they even start talking about it. And I remember going to an event one time, I think it was a shareholder meeting, and there was some discussion about 
I actually got to ask the question. I said, you know, you're doing all these things. There's a, an awful lot going into the environment and what you're doing. Why don't you make more of a, a mention of this? And the kind of answer that I got, um, it was Steve Jobs was there and also, you know, Tim Cook. And it seemed like I got kind of the answer from both of them being like, we're doing the thing we think is, we're doing what we think is the right thing to do. And we don't have to make a big issue about it. And I think they're realizing they do have to make an issue about it because uh, the media didn't pick up on that by itself. Well, I don't know that they have to make a big issue about it or make a, a big noise about it, but they certainly had a lot to make a noise about here, right? The, the goal to become 100% renewable in all of their operations worldwide, in right. everything that they do. And the fact that they have achieved 93% of that to date is gargantuan. I mean, that's that's almost inconceivable, right? That means that they are, they've, they've addressed this in the U.S., in China, in, in Ireland, wherever they are, and in all of the retail stores. And th that, that's not a small task by any stretch yeah, of imagination. It's, it's huge. And to coordinate that globally, uh, it's been going on for a long time, though. I mean, they've been, been working towards that as a goal for a long time. It's just I think now they're – it's not that they're making a big deal about it, but they're, they're making it a more obviously presented thing. It used to be something that you could find out about, and then it was something that they put on their website – and now they're opening, here's a new product, and by the way, we're going to tell you, this is one of the things that we care about, is that we're creating products that are not only uh, powered in a sustainable way, but also can be, um, we think about the lifestyle or the life cycle of the product, and that once it's first of all reused, and then when it gets in to the end of its lifespan, we've designed it to be easy to uh, dismantle in an efficient way so that the parts can be reused. Okay, so now you're talking about the the Project Liam that they showed. Yeah, that was it was kind of reminded me of the Pixar <laughs> robots. Oh, oh, was it the Pixar robots, or did it remind you of the uh, Wally, the lamp? Wally kind of like. Oh, okay, you were well, thinking of Wally. I was thinking it kind of, in some ways, looked like the lamp that hops across the screen. Yeah, Luxo. <laughs> yes, Luxo, Luxo Junior. But uh, the uh, the the idea that the robot can disassemble and detect all the different materials it's disassembling and sort it and separate them back to its core components is pretty huge. You know, it means that, that if you can build a robot that dismantles it responsibly, you could probably also build a robot that could assemble it responsibly. Yeah. I, it was pretty cool how they presented it too, like pulling out the screws and then <laughs> sucking them up to a tube into a pile. I mean, some of that's um, presentation to make it look cool, but you, you think um, that's movie magic? Well, I mean, that's how you do it. I mean, right. that's, yeah, makes sense. So it's kind of issues you don't think about in terms of if, whenever you've taken a device apart, it's a lot of work. Right. But and you know, actually, if you had a, a device that was, you know, if you have devices that are all exactly the same, it's quite easy to make a, I mean, it's much easier to make a uh, machine that can take them apart. Well, yes. So, you know, as, as long as it knows which product it's looking at, it can identify what the, the process is for disassembly and take it apart from there. Yeah. And, um, that's interesting to me because in, in the earlier versions of the iPhone, it was quite simple to disassemble them. And with the more current ones, it's gotten harder and more difficult. And uh, to have a robot be able to do that is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, it also answers the question, what happens with the, the phones from the upgrade plans, right? Because we've gone away from that two-year contract subsidized model, and there have been a lot of upgrade plans. Where does the old phone go? Well, one of the directions that they're working on with old phones is to reuse them in other countries. I and mean, that's what the big push in India is. They, they mentioned that. They mentioned that for China as well, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a huge market for 
affordable phones. And because iPhones, they don't immediately become useless. But um, when there is that that rapid pace of development, people want the, the newest thing. And there's a lot of people. I mean, I know people that buy a new phone every year. And I think well, you're one you know, of the them. mainstream. Yeah, <laughs> Main, the mainstream. I'm kind of a freak, but the mainstream. Uh, even you know, even my family that never bought new things all the time, they're always buying a new iPhone because first of all, you know, you break it. Second of all, um, there's just such a compelling upgrade cycle of you know the camera gets so much better every year and things get so much faster. And it's not. I can't think of another product that's quite the same in terms of people consistently buying it for, you know, the iPhone is now eight years old, something like that. Yeah. And people have been buying cycles of them every year. And in other countries, you know, other countries, there's people that haven't had a smartphone before. And so that's a huge untapped market that you have to be able to address in a way that people can afford to buy. And, so um, if you take yeah. me down, there's a great solution to both problems. This is what uh, Joswiak, I think, was talking about with really the, the iPhone SE which is the, the new 4-inch phone. And, and Neil and I were talking about this in the back channel that, um, you know, why would you even consider buying an iPhone 6 when you could get the more powerful phone for less in the iPhone SE? Yeah, I, I think they've noted, I mean, uh, there hasn't been a direct comparison because the 5 and the S and the 6s were never on the same generation. <clears throat> but uh, in general, every, app, every release that Apple's made, everyone's buying the latest thing. And remember, even when the, the 5S came out, there was this kind of idea that the majority of people were going to be buying the 5C, which was not tremendously different. It didn't have as fast of a chip, and it didn't have some of the other features. But it, it was, you know, similarly good. It was just the year before. Um, and that wasn't the case. I mean, they actually made it, you know, the media kind of invented the story that the 5C was a failure because it didn't outsell the more expensive model. And really, the... The, the real story was that Apple came out with a you know two models of a phone and everybody bought the fancier newer one and that's kind of carried off, carried forward and, and uh, with the, the six six plus people have kind of pushed upward in what they're buying so actual Apple's average sale selling prices for iPhones has been going up which is kind of incredible because every other industry particularly in the tech industry the the average selling price of devices is plummeting whether it's PCs or phones or tablets or anything. And Apple's not doing that. So it's it's pretty incredible that they can consistently come out with new products that get people to upgrade. And I think the 4-inch iPhone SE is a pretty incredible offering because it's got everything that the 6S or 6S Plus has in it pretty much. I mean, it's the, the A9 processor. It's the Motion Pro processor. It's It's got all of the goods in it. It's got the camera. There's, there's no good reason not to have that phone. Well, the one thing it doesn't have is the... 3D Touch, um, which is kind of one of the features that Apple's been Good point. pushing with the, with the newest 6S. Um, I'm trying to think if there was something else. It escapes me if there's another it's, kind it's of a significant differentiator. Very competent phone, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's very much in line with not just the 6, but the 6S. I mean, it has like the newest camera, the newest chip. And having less resolution, it's actually going to be faster in terms of some benchmarks. Right, that was uh, something you noticed with your iPhone 6 Plus because you were you were trying to push that larger screen. Right. So, for, for a lot, I mean, there's people that just naturally like a smaller phone. And, you know, I was handling it and remembering what it was like to have a phone that you could reach without stretching your thumbs. And even though I have huge hands, um, <laughs> I do notice with the 6 Plus, it's just, it's frequently this kind of huge stretch across the screen to 
to get anything done, but it's also difficult to give up that big screen. So mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> We, we, they, they covered ResearchKit and how great ResearchKit has been in terms of, of increasing the amount of participation in research studies. Tell me about CareKit. So CareKit, it was kind of interesting uh, the way they presented it, showing that uh, with ResearchKit, you can put in a lot of information about what's happening, and they can find out, uh, they can draw conclusions based on all that data that they have. And they can see, for example, that you know if, if you're doing this, this is the result. And if you're taking this particular drug, it may help you. It may not help you. It may, may be that that's not the right drug for you. Um, and that's the kind of natural evolution of that is for people who are not in intensive care anymore, coming out of the hospital, out of surgery or something like that, or who are sent home, having something that can monitor how they react to drug therapy or um, how they're dealing with uh, different issues and uh, some of the same types of measurements that are related to research kit, but instead of uh, just looking at it, an issue, they're looking specifically at how people who are, for example, sent home from a hospital, how they're responding to an ongoing treatment and whether or not that needs to be changed, whether it's working for them and whether something else can be done that would um, help more. And kind of the biggest example is coming home from surgery. And I've, I've gone through surgery a few times and every time, you know, they give you this piece of paper that says, you know, here's other things that could happen. And, you know, here's your post-treatment care do, plan. Do this so you don't die, you know, avoid this and avoid that. But having kind of active monitoring, it, it's sort of like bringing the hospital home with you. So that's a really interesting concept that nobody is really kind of been predicting where that's gone. Because so, even research kit was kind of a, a new thing when that came out, no one expected it to happen. And so what, what has to take place for that to really get adopted? I mean, do, what, what, what do doctors and hospitals have to do differently for that to become a thing? Well, I think it will it'll be related to specific hospitals and if, as they see value in doing it. Um, it's, it's like any tool. Once you put a tool out there, you have early adopters that start seeing results. And then you have other people that observe that and say, hey, we need to do that too because it's such a big deal. And there's so many areas in computing where that has been the case. I mean, it was kind of obvious from early days of PCs that for accounting, being able to have, you know, this like a spreadsheet or a database where you could immediately do things you couldn't do on paper before. And so that's kind of a, another example of that, finding another um, another way to have our smartphones, which are full of not only, it's not just a computer, but it also has all these sensors on it. It's a good data acquisition device. Yeah. And, you know, you can send it right to your doctor. And so it's a a smart application that Apple's kind of unique in in presenting that. Next, they ran through a series of updates, right? They they seemed to go through this really quickly as we were doing it. And uh, they went through tvOS and uh, talked about tvOS getting folders, getting dictation support, getting dictation support for things like username and passwords, and uh, Siri being applied to a broader and broader series of apps. Yeah, all those were are things in the public beta. I believe it's public. Yes. There's no, it's a developer beta. There, there was a public um, beta. So those are not things that we didn't know about, but uh, yeah, it was kind of an update across the board in terms of software of new things that are coming out with the... Well, I'm, kind of a I'm batch update. I, th- I think one of my big complaints about Apple TV and TVOS has been the App Store and the difficulty of of searching the App Store. 
And so being able to use Siri to not only ask for an app by name, but also to ask for a kind of app. Yeah, that's a cool idea. I'm, I'm waiting to see. I'm, I'm going to test it a little bit later on and see how helpful that is. And, you know, you think about it, the TV app store has been around for a few months. <laughs> it's pretty new. And pretty much almost every time that I go to check out something on TV, I go and there's some new thing that is interesting enough to download. They have over 5,000 apps on the app store for TV. Yeah. For, for having only been out for just a few short months, that is not terrible. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. And also just once you have that many apps, it's kind of like when the app store first came out on the iPhone. And the first thing you do is download a bunch of apps. And then you're like, oh, I have a bunch of apps I have to figure out how to manage. So the idea of folders and then being able to pull up apps by voice with Siri, it's just kind of this evolving, how do you deal with um, success? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and create a new problem and then you have to solve it. Definitely. And after tvOS, they, they covered the, uh, wow, we covered uh, iOS 9. And that too was like 9.3, the new, the new stuff that we've known about. I mean, mo- those things we've already covered and Apple's even presented before, but um, it's out now. So, and, and they were small changes that, that they chose to focus on, right? They chose to focus on notes and the ability to password protect it, fingerprint protect it. They, they talked about health and the ability to, to give people app recommendations to help get even better data into the health dashboard and, uh, and and making news personalized, which was cool. They spent some time talking about Night Shift. Can you tell me about Night Shift? Night Shift is the idea of taking changing the uh, representation of how colors are displayed based on the time of the day. So you have a less you know intensely bright blue screen when you're when you're at, at night reading in bed. So it kind of um, dials it down with the idea of making it uh, it's more soothing and your brain is ready to go to sleep. My understanding is that light fools your brain into thinking that it's daylight and you should be awake, and that especially the blue component of the light right. is is particularly fatiguing and also prompts you to stay awake. And so by dialing it back, that it's going to help you get to sleep better. Yeah, it's like your whole serotonin melatonin cycle of light influences how much how how your wake cycle is. So it's interesting to kind of and it, it was a third party app, I believe. That, uh, uh, Flux or yeah, F Flux. Yeah, so Apple kind of Sherlocked it. I mean, they kind of borrowed it. But um, they've also expanded upon that in sort of a new way with the new iPad iPad Pro. Mm-hmm. They're, they yeah, they it. have ambient light sensors, and it's uh, True Tone. True Tone, which is kind of a interesting play on... It's the same thing with the flash of, of when you're taking a photo, when you need a flash, being able to match the lighting to make it the most flattering tone... So it's kind of in the opposite direction that, that it's changing the kind of light used to illuminate the display to sort of mimic the ambient lighting around you. You know, I, I paid attention to the announcement about CarPlay, and I'm a big CarPlay fan. It was nice to see that there are more than 100 car models that have been announced with CarPlay support, and that all of the major manufacturers are putting CarPlay into their systems, and that with iOS 9.3, uh, music gets better, maps gets better. And I'm really looking forward to seeing those in practice. Yeah, I wish I had CarPlay in my car. <laughs> well, what, do you still have the BMW? Yeah, uh, but it's like a, it's like a 2011, so it doesn't. It's not. I mean, you could you could I could put an iPad in my car, I guess. But. No, and and actually, I know someone who's been who who came up with a way to actually run the CarPlay interface on the iPad. So you could totally do that. They also make aftermarket ones, but. I, I, I have, need to, I have need to get rid of my car before the before the real impact of not having maintenance on it anymore. Hits yeah, me. 
No, I, I have the aftermarket uh, car. If anybody wants to buy a car. <laughs> <laughs> Contact Dan at, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they touched on iPads and education. And to be honest, that, that part of the announcement flew past me. Uh, all, all I really got out of that is that they're updating the OS so that people using iPads and education have more tools for students, teachers, and administrators. I'm not even sure what it means other than it becomes easier to manage when you have a large number of users. Well, they've already presented that. That's one of the main components of um, iOS 9.3 is that classroom functionality. Okay. Of basically having, I believe it's cloud-driven, but you, an educator can set up an account and manage classroom uh, iPads, kind of similar to um, previous management tools for Macs. So you can uh, decide what apps students have access to and what they can install on there and you can do screen sharing and see where people are in the classroom individually you can look at their what they're doing and offer help kind of things like that cool so they're starting with education um that's something that would be kind of eventually broadly interesting to corporate users and also um even home users in in some circumstances but i think they're working to kind of dial it in for education first because that's a big part of their yeah, the uh, market the, for the sort of family iTunes App Store accounts have always been a little bit weird to manage. So, so maybe that's something that trickles down to the rest of us. Yeah, I mean, they've kind of been congealing the family plans and figuring out how to do it. There's still some things that um, it's not really clear what the solution is. For example, photos. Your entire family might not want to pool all their photos in the same library. You might not want to see your kids' photos. Uh, but if you know, if you're in a family and you and your spouse want to take pictures and put them into the same library, there's not a clear solution for that yet. And so that's still something that they're working on. So yeah, see how that works out. Once again, we had Tim Cook laying it out very clearly that, that, you know, he said, we believe the iPad is the perfect expression of the future of personal computing. Absolutely no, no equivocation there. That's, this is it. This is where we're going. So they talked about how much they love the iPad and how great the iPad pro is. Um, what can you tell me about the ultimate PC replacement? Well, with the new the new iPad Pro, I mean, essentially what they're doing is upgrading what they call the iPad Air into a device more like the iPad, the full size iPad Pro that they came off last year, which is kind of it, kind of a pattern of what they do. You know, they come out with the high end. Here's our newest, greatest stuff, kind of like when the i the five uh, K iMac came out. And it's like here's the incredible screen and you know the everything, but it was a twenty seven inch. If you wanted a smaller one, you had to wait until it kind of trickled down through the line. And so that's kind of the similar pattern of what's happening here with, come out with a larger iPad with a premium price. It has support for the pencil stylus and um, some of the new stuff that requires having a faster chip and then bringing that down to the, the regular size iPad, which they kind of emphasize has been the most popular version. Yeah. Did do you have your? Uh, did, did you get your hands on with the uh, the smaller iPad Pro? Yeah, I worked with it a little bit. I was kind of watching. I, it's kind of hard to film and play with at the same time, so I was having the guy give me a professional tour of it <laughs> while I was filming. I noticed it has the camera bump on the back. Yeah, it's the same camera as the six. So if you're going to lie it flat and draw on it, is that a problem? Does it rock and wobble from side to side? Um, not tremendously, but uh, a lot of people put a case in the back too. I mean, you have like a like a rubberized case. It's what I have on the iPad that I, the iPad Pro that I have. So if you if you do that, I mean, it's the same thing with the iPad Pro. Okay. It has kind of a little bump out. 
So it doesn't really matter. It's just kind of there. I mean, you can notice it. It's not, it's not like a top. It's not impossible to lay on a surface, but, um, yeah, if you want to have a, a smooth surface, putting it in the case kind of solves that problem. Yeah. Now, what did the iPad Pro, did the small iPad Pro get anything that the large one pre-existing model doesn't have? Uh, well, they're talking about the screen technology, and, and that's changed. I don't know if it's exactly the same as the Pro, but it's it's um, it's got a few upgrades over what it had before that are in addition to the support for the pen, the pencil, uh, which includes a greater gamut ratio, color gamut. Mm -hmm. So um, produces a wider range of colors. Looked incredible when I was working on it. Um, the, the other, the other thing that I noticed, one thing that it doesn't have, I I believe, I mean, I've been seeing this on Twitter and, and looking at the specs, I think this is correct. The, the new pro doesn't have USB three internally where the, where the previous, the larger size pro does. How would, how would they level. know? Well, I mean, what it has is, is support for it. Oh, you mean how do the reports know? Yeah. I think it's, I think it's public on the website. I mean, the, Somebody's, the, the point of the new camera. I saw it on the internet, so it must be true. Ah, <laughs> no, nice. no, but I, I thought somebody, <laughs> somebody tweeted, I haven't looked into this into detail, but somebody tweeted out a, a picture that looked like specs or I, I don't remember. I mean, this is kind of stuff I went through kind of quickly, but it looked like the pro is, said to have support for USB three and the other one does not say it has support for USB three. So I don't know if that's definitive or if it's just the way that it's configured to work right now or what, or just the way that the material was written up. It's possible, but when I looked at it, it looked like it was kind of like a clear case of this is something that it doesn't have because some of the adapters, even right now you can't have a USB three cable plugged into it. I mean, there are no specific USB three cables, to do, for example, syncing over USB three. Right. There's no lightning USB A USB three right. cable. Exactly. So um, that that's not happening yet. But, but apparently that's possible. I mean the camera adapters were redone to support USB three. Yeah. And that's what I think the detail came from is the camera adapters when it says when you use it with the nine point seven inch iPad Pro, it uses USB two. Intriguing. That's so I don't know if that's a hard, fast thing that will never work, or if it's just the current status of how it's working. But right. that kind of sounded like, which I don't know why that would be the case, because it seems like USB three support would be part of the A9X. Yeah, processors, as I understand it, because the system on a chip has all the interfaces built into it. The the nice thing about the new camera kit is that the uh, the the USB side of the camera kit for connecting to a camera has a lightning female port so you can charge the iPad while you're using the camera. That's smart. Uh, and you can use it for more than just, I mean, they, they mentioned that too. It's like instead of just having something you can plug a camera into, you can also use that for things like microphones to do podcasting. Okay. So it actually has a, a real USB port now. When they said, and to do your podcast right from your iPad Pro you know that all of our hearts over here at the uh, uh, Apple Insider podcast lit up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, everybody got excited. Yeah, we uh, our hearts grew about two sizes that day. Yeah, that's something that's been kind of lacking. You know, one of the, you think of podcasting, you think of Apple, and you think of the iPad, you think, why shouldn't you be able to podcast on this? Absolutely, and we've tried to do it. We've run into a number of problems while we've tried to do it. So it's uh, it's it's good to hear that they have this in mind. Baby steps. 
well, you, you know us, we're going to try and figure out and see if we can actually do it this way. But they say this is the best upgrade ever for every iPad owner and the ultimate PC upgrade for all the people using old PCs. Yeah, that's that's their target market is trying to get everyone to, I mean, there's not a huge new market for people rushing out and buying the first computer anymore um, outside of some developing countries where in, in China that is actually the case. There's a lot of people that are buying their first first phone and first computer kind of thing. But you know, for most of the world, you have to entice people who are using an old PC into buying into the new decade. Yeah, and there were people that, that uh, in the comments on our website were a little disappointed that they heard nothing about Mac. And, and of course, we all kind of knew that this was not going to be a Mac event. But what do you have to say about that in light of the, uh, the, the ultimate iPad comments, the iPad is the future of computing? Well, they did t- touch on a lot of different things. Um, it was all about iOS, though. I mean, all, all the all the product introductions they made were all iOS related, um, and in previous, they they have issued Macs. I believe Macs and iPads are generally presented separately. Although I mm-hmm. think there has been times where they've introduced two different things at once. I think the MacBook wasn't the MacBook it released alongside new iPads. I think it was. I can't remember exactly, but um, yeah, if there's not a new Mac to be issued right now. Um, Right, it's kind, of, kind of like a natural situation. But as but, as the iPad Pro becomes uh, this plentiful thing, and it will be because they've obviously they've put it into the most popular size now. Do you think that spells anything out for the uh, the Max future? Well, there is certainly an emphasis on mainstream the things that Apple's actually going to sell. So obviously they're going to put most of their interest into developing the things that the broadest part of the market is going to buy. But I think it's also, I mean, Apple has kind of emphasized that. Um, high-end Macs are not going to go away. It, it's not the the idea. It was originally they were making the a strong point that iPads and Macs don't have to merge because everyone's talking. I mean, especially Microsoft was pushing this idea that oh, you know, we can have a tablet and a laptop in the same thing. And Apple's been like, no, it's that's a refrigerator toaster. You don't really want that. You want to have either this or that. So, kind of moving past not merging. I think they've also kind of been fairly strong about the fact that these are different devices and one of them doesn't have to go away, even though Apple sells, what, 50 million, 50 something million, 50 to 60 million iPads a year and maybe 20 million Macs. So, I mean, iPads are much bigger and people talk about iPads going away. And it's like, even, even from their peak, Apple is still selling lots more iPads However, both iPads and Macs as businesses generate a similar number of billions of dollars. It's, I, I can't remember the exact number, but I think it's like $25 billion for both of them in that ballpark. So they're both big businesses. The iPad is a bigger volume business, and the Mac is a more valuable because Macs are more expensive. But um, they're both huge enterprises that Apple's not in any hurry to get rid of either one, obviously, or to turn them into the same thing, you know? Got it. Okay, so let's let's recap. There was there was climate change. There was care kit. There were cool new bands for the Apple Watch and updates for Apple TV, iPhone, iPhone SE, and the iPad Pro. What what do you think the takeaway here is today? What what first of all, what do you think was the best announcement of the day, and and what do you think was the um, the one that's going to have the most impact going forward? Um, well, all these were sort of kind of incremental impact incremental advances of saying here we're taking our you know kind of trailing at this point 
low-end iPhone and bringing it up to speed with our other high-end iPhones and um, delivering it at an even better price for starters. That There's nothing incredibly exciting about that, but it's also exciting in the sense that it's broadening the market for iPhones. Because one thing Apple needs to do, in addition to making the tons of money it does, is it has to keep growing. And to be able to keep going in, in terms of volume, you have to uh, be aware of new markets. And so I, I think it's not the most like exciting, sexy news, but it still uh, shows that Apple's very aware of what's happening and where the actual needs are. And then with the iPad, it's kind of the same thing, similar thing of we've pushed the iPad into the future with this iPad Pro platform. And now we're bringing in the mainstream up to that same level. So pen works across uh, devices. You have a lot of new things you couldn't do before in terms of like windowing and, and some of the multitasking features. So um, in terms of kind of excitement level or how, how big and new things were, even before the event, there were all these people running to their typewriters to type out, oh, Apple's event's going to be boring. Um, what Apple does, Apple's not this small company it was 10 years ago that's, I mean, relatively small, that it needs to create a big um, news circus just to get people to pay attention to its products anymore. Apple's running the show, kind of. I mean, they, they sell all the tablets, all the notebooks, all the phones that make money in the world. So they have to be cautious about what they the decisions that they make so that what the volume that they're producing is something people actually buy. They can't just go out and build sort of like experimental, you know, whizzy new things that nobody buys. It would be awful if Apple started making exciting products like, you know, the Fire Phone and Windows Surface <laughs> and th things that, you know, people go, oh, oh, this is new, but it doesn't sell. You know, yeah. that's that's a problem. So I think focusing on what they're good at um, and really targeting that for who the real consumers are out there. And then also emphasizing some of the important things that Apple is doing in terms of looking at health and looking at privacy and looking at uh, running running their business in a sustainable way so that the only reason to buy Apple is not just that they have new um, exciting technology products, but that they're also kind of a responsible corporate citizen that is concerned about the world in a, you know, you know, in a participating sort of way. It's not just, we're just trying to produce the most junk so that people will buy this and, you know, the planet will just go away eventually, but creating a sort of sustainable lifestyle that a lot of other high-end retailers and, you know, clothiers and people who make amazing food, that's the kind of things that they focus on. And that's something that the consumers that matter, the people that are paying money for stuff, also care about. And so Apple is really showing a lot of savvy in what they're doing. And I don't think it's just for show. I mean, some of it is for show. I mean, they're, they're showing it off. But at the same time, it's also like a, a real concern of if we do this, people are going to notice and they're going to be attracted to it. Your parting thought coming out of today's announcements. Let's see. What can I? What kind of brilliant thing can I say? <laughs> <laughs> my, my brain is kind of kind of out of brilliance, but I do think it's interesting that Apple is continuing to pursue uh, this kind of welcoming sense to bring the media in and show them things, and like especially kind of even, it seems kind of simple, but just walking people across the campus and being like, "This is what Apple is," and um, you know, the way they throw breakfast and it's not just like, here's a, here's a sandwich croissant and a coffee, but here's our sense of what we think is responsible food. 
and it's presented in a way that's healthy and it's presented in a way that's attractive. And, um, that's kind of a reflection of the products Apple makes. They don't just dump out, here's something that makes money because it costs less to produce than what we sold it for. But they put a lot of thought into how it's used and how it affects the world and how it affects people that use it. And the fact that people will want it again and they'll keep buying it and they'll, um, Apple will effectively make money doing that. And we've seen that. I mean, that's kind of a pattern. And I think people are, I see, I've seen some responses where they talk about, it's like Apple's not doing exciting, you know, earth shattering things. Um, they don't have to do that all the time. And if that's all they focused on, they'd be more likely to be failing because it's hard to always hit, to do something incredibly new and be successful at it. Sometimes you have to work on refining the craft that you already have. And I think Apple's showing that they're really good at that. And so it may be another, um, you know, we're, we're going into the next four, the next forties of Apple. They're, they're just about to turn 40 as a company in April. And so in their next decade, you know, what are they going to do? How are they going to solve new problems? And I think they're kind of charting. Here's here's kind of our values of what we're going towards. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Excellent. Well, thank you, Dan. And, and thank you for all of your help covering this each event. Uh, where can we find you on the internet? Um, Apple Insider, of course. And then also I'm on Twitter at Daniel Aaron, E-R-A-N, various other places. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this has been the Apple Insider Podcast, recording Monday, March 21st, following the Apple iPhone SE event. Stay tuned to Apple Insider for more coverage of the 9.7-inch iPad Pro, the 4-inch iPhone SE, live from Apple's headquarters in Cupertino.